Roger Federer in an epic thriller uh, in London. What a match. Uh, Lightning has struck thrice on centre court, 2014, 15 and 19. Hello everyone, I'm your host Prasad and I'm joined by the two great analysts, Rajki and Prakash. Guys, I hope you're doing well. It's been a brilliant day in sporting history. But uh, let's focus on the tennis thing, the uh, Wimbledon final. And let's get your thoughts straight on how you felt the final went by. Let's start with Rajke. So I'll say pretty much what I said after the Federer-Nadal match. It was a very dramatic match, but I don't think this is the best quality match that the two have played against each other. I think there were times when Federer was approaching his best. There were times when Novak was approaching his best. But like what I look for when these two guys play is the battle between Federer's serve and Djokovic's return. That was mostly absent. So I was very disappointed with the match from a quality point of view. But it's unforgettable. It's one of the most crazy matches that you'll see. I think it's just bizarre, weird match. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Prakash, let's get your thoughts on the final and emotional roller coaster there. 8 7, 40 15 serving for the championship and then a break being broken. Yeah. What did you make of that? So definitely, I mean, uh, it was already say. It's like an episode from Stranger Things, you can say, you know, such a, <laughs> a Friday zone. <laughs> zone you know, no, on Prakash, many fronts, Stranger, right? things, like, Stranger yeah. things is not so yeah. bad. They have some logic there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's right from the beginning, right? In the first two sets, you felt like this was basically following the pattern that Nadal Federer semi final did, you know? Yeah. Where yeah. a guy toughs out a tie break and then. Uh, the other guy just basically bagel, uh, breadsticks the other guy. Mm. <laughs> and then, of course, you get to this point where uh, in the fourth set, Federer uh, no, wins a set, which sent you back to 2014 uh, Wimbledon final, where Federer, who was like, you know, down two sets to one, yeah. you know, with the help of the crowd, uh, like he always gets all over the world. Yeah. You know, he, you know, kind of used that energy and. By that time, right, I think a 37-year-old who has played the kind of physical matches that's, that he has played. I mean, these are not like the 90s grass courts, you know, where you can play five sets. This is just, I mean, straight out like a slow hard court. And the effort that must have gone in, like, to, for Federer to again come back. Hmm. And then he went into the fifth set, hmm. where early on uh, Federer had his chances to break Djokovic. And then Djokovic breaks him. Hmm. This was very much like actually, if you like look at the 2007 Wimbledon final, hmm. this is what Federer does. To Nadal like Nadal has some chances to break Federer, which he does, you know, which is not uh, is unable to take. Yeah. And then Federer breaks him back and you know, goes all the way to win. So that was like you know, so it's like so many flashbacks, so many you know resemblances to matches, right? Yeah, yeah. Correct. We so, got the ultimate. Uh, who yeah. broke first in the fifth set? It was, yeah, it was uh, Djokovic. It was Djokovic who made it 4-2. Right? Yeah. It was Djokovic who made okay. it 4-2 and then Federer immediately okay. broke back. Immediately to, broke back, right? Yeah, really yeah. Game. So yeah. this was like a combination of various previous matches, right? At some point Absolutely. it felt like 2008. Some point it felt like 2014 Australian Open. Some point it felt like 2017 Australian Open with Federer, you know, down exactly. by breaking, yeah. If, yeah. If yeah, yeah. breaking back. Yeah. And most yeah. likely, at some point, it felt like U.S. Open 2011, right? With uh, Djokovic, crazy. There's yeah. so many weird matches combined into one crazy match, you know. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, eight seven, eight seven, forty fifteen. It felt like the 2008 final. 
and uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. save, yeah and uh, and uh, he was love 15 down on the serve and then he came back to uh, take three points and one point away and it kind of felt like you know a, a case of so close yet so far but But yeah, but and the longest. There's one more match. One more match we're forgetting, maybe 2009 yeah. Wimbledon. You know, between yeah. Federer and Roddick. Yeah. Federer didn't yeah. have a break point, I think, till the fifth. He never broke Roddick. He he kept yeah. winning tiebreakers, and then yeah. towards the end he broke, he broke last, Roddick. Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Last 15, 15, 13. Yeah, you know, so a bit of that also thrown in to kind of completely add to the confusion as to you know what exactly is going on here. <laughs> uh, so exactly. two sets all, two sets all, twelve games all, and then Djokovic winning the tiebreak. and it surpasses nadal versus federer's 4 hour 48 minutes in 2008 and now this is the longest final and this is the most thrilling final in wimbledon history but let's get uh, uh, rajke your thoughts on um, the first uh, four sets i mean novak djokovic did not have a break point until maybe the fourth set where he was down a double break and then he broke federer so um, yeah. um um uh, a master of clutch moments you can say um uh, putting in that shift when it matters to win yes, those again so this is not the novak federer match that i like as i said you know because mm. i always look for mm. djokovic's return against federer's service games you know that's mm. like i remember it from 2015 it's so nice to see that and never got to see this in this match federer i felt made a much better start and probably was the better player in the first set um and djokovic was just winning the tie breaks and and in between there was this weird set where he didn't seem to try much very like federer against nadal so never towards the end you know maybe late fourth set fifth set was a bit good uh, in the beginning you know that's where i thought both of them were playing some good rallies but other than that this you know strange match with not great quality but a lot of drama as, as i said yeah so prakash uh, uh you know federer very good first serve first serves today 80% of the first serves in and uh, totally uh, you can say the better of the two players the stats show that, that he is the better of the two players what's your take on that well in a close match like this that's bound to happen and i think if you've seen a, and followed federer's career he's like very unlike the other champions in that there are a lot of matches like this where federer basically and i mean his if you look at uh, his breakpoint conversion right that's pretty much the story yeah. of his career as well you know where he just produces uh, like infinite chances you can say you know and then uh, probably messes up a lot of them you know it's like basically he just lets the chips fall where they fall you know he just just goes and lets his game flow and that is pretty much unique you know in that sense federer because most of other champions generally they kind of now uh, convert those limited chance not limited relatively i would say but whenever they get it they try not to make a mess of those chances but federer has never been that kind of a player you know and that's why i always uh, keep reminding people that you know what people forget in all this uh, great numbers that federer has put up is that his career could have very easily and it is across all sports where Yeah. Now people like Rios and now like Kyrgios, these guys are just they. I feel like there's a threshold of talent above which I think people just cannot handle it. You know, and uh, we have too many examples in not only tennis but all over you no know, sport where uh, this kind of things just you know that Federer that he he got a credit Federer that he has achieved so much in spite of all this rather than look at it as 
you know, a normally kind of thing. And it's very common pattern. I think uh, he's uh, the tennis player with the most matches where he has won more points than his uh, opponent, but lost the match. Yeah. Thank you, family. Yeah. That's yeah, and you know, and you know, Prakash, uh, Prakash, continuation of that. Yeah, and Prakash, you know, uh, Rajke, here are some of the stats I'm uh, presenting to you guys, and then let's have your thoughts on that. You know, you know points one on first serve, seventy-nine percent for Federer and seventy-four for Djokovic, seventy-four mm. points on second serve, fifty-two for fifty-two jo- percent for Federer and forty-seven for Djokovic. Uh, right. Aces, aces, twenty-five for Federer, ten for Djokovic. Winners, ninety-four, fifty-four. Unforced mm. errors. Jock Federer with more unforced errors, sixty-one to fifty-two. Break points one, seven out of thirteen for Federer and three out of eight for Djokovic. And total points one, two hundred and eighteen for Federer, two hundred and three for Djokovic. Champion Djokovic. <laughs> so um, can be a cruel sport at times, isn't it? But what a sport this is. What 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 do you guys have to say about that? No, I mean like uh, the sets Djokovic won were in tie breaks, and the sets Federer won were you know one was six one set and the other was six three I think six three or six four six, six four right yeah six uh, one second yeah six, six four six four okay so obviously I mean he won the sets breaking Djokovic and Djokovic won the sets in tie breaks so that sort of explains and the six one set would have accounted for a lot of those differences. Absolutely. But towards but, the beginning yeah. of the fifth set, towards the end of the match, Djokovic was beginning to show some sparks of brilliance. Um, in the fifth know, set, I would say, toward, yeah, towards the beginning of the fifth, fifth fourth, set, you could see. Fourth, I think, I think he played well. Yeah, you could Djokovic sense. Exactly. Yeah, you could sense that you could say, and it, it, throughout the match, I think in the second or the third set, you wondered whether what, what's happening, what's actually happening with Djokovic. Yeah, is, Djokovic's serve. I mean, we've yeah. talked a lot about Federer's serve and Djokovic's return, but Djokovic's yeah. serve today wasn't good. Um, yeah. You know, as good as it can be, and you could really see that when he was serving well, that those were his best chances to win. But it always felt like Federer may break. Uh, you know, because Federer kept getting out of break, many break points with his serve, and yeah. so that was a bit. It, it was again add, adding to the strangeness of the match. Yeah, um, yeah. So. And you know, to and to to add to this uh, w- wonderful uh, uh, discussion, uh, Federer Djokovic becomes the first player in Open era to have uh, saved championship points and then gone on to win the Wimbledon. So that's a that's an incredible feat and five Wimbledon titles for Djokovic now. And as Prakash has uh, very wonderfully noted the pattern. On his Twitter account, 2004-5 and 2009, Federer wins Wimbledon, defeating Andy Roddick in all three finals. 2014-15-19, Djokovic wins Wimbledon, defeating Federer in all three finals. <laughs> and, so, it's, and this match also a bit similar, right? In the sense that Djokovic, Federer didn't break Roddick till the fifth set, and Djokovic yeah. really didn't break Federer yeah. till, I mean, till the fourth set. Yeah, so very similar. So, so uh, Prakash, let's get your thoughts, uh, and uh, then we can come back to Rajke. What next for the big three? Um, Federer at twenty Grand Slams, Nadal at eighteen, Djokovic for at sixteen. All the three fan bases happy there. Do you think? Uh, well, I don't think all the fan bases are happy because they started with uh, Federer at uh, <laughs> at two thousand ten. I think uh, Federer was at fifteen, and uh, Nadal was at. Uh, Five, and Djokovic was uh, yet was one or something, or I think sixteen, six and one. I think that was a count. After on, uh, Prasad, is your question yeah. about this tournament or like in general? Yeah, it's in general. 
Uh, no, it's in general. It's uh, yeah, true. yeah. It's in general, and obviously because the Wimbledon ended, you know, uh, and the, yeah. the tally after this Wimbledon is twenty eighteen and sixteen. So, so yes. what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. It went from twenty eighteen fifteen to twenty eighteen sixteen. So yeah, if I get your question right, you're asking whether you know like that transition from twenty eighteen fifteen to twenty eighteen sixteen, how the three fan bases feel about it, right? I mean, if you're going to yeah, talk about I... what we were expecting in two thousand six from all these three, that's going to be a completely different question, you know. <laughs> no, but yeah. I'm saying after this, so twenty eighteen sixteen, when one is still playing at his highest at the age of thirty seven, thirty eight, coming back from those injuries, and uh-huh. the the other one hasn't had uh, a lot of uh, competition, and you know, like Prakash has said. that you know a lack of young players coming through uh, is the reason why nadal and djokovic are where they are basically here mm-hmm. so uh, it's to so 2018 15 to 2018 16 mm-hmm. who benefits and what happens what's next for these three okay yeah so i'll let prakash answer first i'll so yeah to be precise yeah definitely you know like uh, If you remember, I think you know, initially many people thought Federer had the better end of the deal with the uh, weaker era before Nadal and Djokovic showed up. But right now, if you look at it, you know when you think consider all things, you one can make the case that uh, right now it's almost like two generations of tennis have not shown up. Yeah. Which I don't think I don't know if it. Uh, I can't think of a time you know where. Uh, Tennis was so low on because tennis has always been traditionally known as a, you know, it's a young players' game basically. You know, a lot of teenage prodigies like Becker, you know, and I think that basically kept eroding over the years as the game got physical, I guess. And of course, with the slowdown conditions, you know, these are there are many factors you can say. So Nadal was the last teenage champ we had, and uh, and the thing is, after Djokovic, right? I don't think uh, we have had a younger player. uh not younger than djokovic that has won a slam yet <laughs> right so this yeah. is like what 2008 and so it's like we are 11 years on and still the youngest player that has won the slam right now is still djokovic yeah that is just yeah i mean uh, so definitely i'm pretty sure it's contributing to all these you know inflation for i mean all three players of course definitely but of course the younger player or relatively younger ones are going to take a bigger Toll on this, you know, or bigger advantage of the situation than, of course, you know, Federer is five is definitely, at least in my book, is a generation ahead of uh, these two guys. Hmm. You know, tennis generations wise. Hmm. But anyway, uh, saying uh, after saying all that, right, right now it's like twenty eighteen and sixteen. That's where we are at, and uh, yeah, well, you guys, we'll just see how things go forward. I guess because things have been changing constantly whenever you know. But uh, at least this year, or the since Austin Open 2018, no, obviously Federer's count has been stagnant, and uh, I think Nadal has reduced by two and uh, or two, right? Yeah, two French Opens basically. Yeah. Djokovic has added uh, four, right? Four Correct. of these. Uh, he's Correct. moved, uh, no? So from 12 to 16. So definitely, you know, the momentum you got to say is with uh, Djokovic. and then of course nadal has the french open so we'll have to wait and see uh you know how it plays out in the next couple of years all right yeah rashke on to you now 
Okay, so I'm going to take a more short-term approach to what Prakash was saying because those are good points, but I think that's up for another podcast when we talk about eras and competition and youngsters and so on and so forth. And some of those things to me are subjective and difficult to prove as well. So I'm going to just talk about how does Wimbledon affects the big three. Uh, so if you look at Federer, for example, obviously his best uh, outcome would have been winning, but his worst case outcome would have been Nadal winning, right? Then there's just one slam between the two. Correct, so correct. what really yeah. happened was the intermediate outcome for Federer fans, right? So it's not their best case, but they avoided the worst case. And Federer beat Nadal and got a very important win against Nadal at Wimbledon. So to me, that's a big yeah. positive for Federer fans. Similarly, for Nadal fans, of course, the big positive would have been Nadal winning, reducing the gap to one. But at least for them, uh, Federer did not win. So it still stays at eighteen twenty. still gives Nadal fans hope. So it's a good tournament yeah. for them as well. And Nadal reaches the finals, uh, showing the yeah, showing that he's still yeah. a good contender. And then, of course, with Djokovic fans, it's been a good tournament as well. So I think there are big positives that the big three can all take from this. And I really love the attitude of Federer after the match. And to me, it seems like he's ready to go on playing for a few very, more Very, very happy with that. 37-year-old saying, you know, I, I hope I give hope to uh, the other 37-year-olds. And then Novak comes in and Novak says, I'm one of them. That was classy. Yes. That was very So Federer played two high-quality matches back-to-back. And yeah. if the draw is kind, he will not have to do this to win slams. For example, at US Open, Djokovic and Nadal could play a four-hour semi-final and Federer gets to beat the winner in the final. Yeah. So to me, this means that Federer is going to have great chances going forward. So I look at this as a positive for all, all the big three players. And you know, uh, for you know, for uh, number twenty-one being so close at eight, seven, forty, fifteen. I mean, you've hmm. you've been you've been broken, and you've come back on serve, and then you've broken him, the best player, yeah. the number one player in the world, and it's on a plate. <laughs> but definitely against a guy like Djokovic, nothing's easy, and we know because you know yeah, you I can mean, win. Some... All had setbacks yeah. in the comeback. That's why they're great players. Federer absolutely huge setback of two thousand and eight Wimbledon, two thousand nine Australian Open, just yeah. a few months apart. Nadal yeah. had two thousand seventeen Australian Open. Losing to Federer must have been crushing. And now we absolutely. know that. And yeah. Djokovic had so many French Open finals and semifinals where you know he had good chances, right, to win as well. And the yeah. two thousand thirteen yeah. Open final weekend. So each of these have come back from setbacks. And at thirty seven years, anything is a bonus. And Federer is a very positive person. So I don't think he's going to sit back and feel sad about this tournament. He's going to realize that he's going to have chances at US Open, Australian Open, where he's won, you know, like six Australian Opens and five US Opens. So let's look forward to those. He's going to have his chances. He's not done yet by a long way. Yeah. So we so after this Wimbledon final, you know, only five Wimbledon men's singles finals have reached 6-6 six, six in the fifth set. And Roger Federer has played three of them. <laughs> and <laughs> Uh, I think one of them is the Nadal uh, Federer uh, 2008. Uh, the other one is Federer Roddick and That's this it. one. Yeah. That's it. So, so, yeah. So, uh, anyway, a great tournament and a great uh, two couple of weeks uh, for tennis. What a day for sport in general. And uh, that, that, uh, the, the ruling of the tiebreak was announced this year and we got to witness it in the very first year. So, that's one thing uh, that happened. You know, and I was quite sure, was unsure, you know, whether it was first to seven or ten. Somebody confused me with ten, but then it was, no, it, it's first to seven. I think the option In, is ten, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct. Correct. So, so guys, uh, fantastic. What a Wimbledon this has been. I mean, 2018-15 to 2018-16 we go. And uh, the yes. big three looking unstoppable, I think. Prakash, after Mare's 2016 Wimbledon, I think uh, the, the every... 
grand slam winner has been 30 plus so yes. so there's so there's something to look forward to in the us open and by the way jokovic has qualified for the atp world tour finals after this mm-hmm. better, so right? the two yeah. grand slams <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <laughs> the, the us open next guys but uh, where do we go from here next in the atp world tour calendar can any one of you elaborate on that where do we go next from the wimbledon so the two big tournaments are the uh north american the so called north american masters on hard courts so one of them happens in cincinnati just before the us open and the other happens in canada and rotates between montreal and toronto so one year it's in montreal the next year it's in toronto and that happens before cincinnati so we're going to have the canadian masters and then cincinnati and then the us open in a few weeks perfect perfect so so we build up to the us open which is the final week of august and that is the final slam of a historic year by the way and three slams are done djokovic has won two of them nadal has won one and uh, uh, terrific terrific to say the least and remember we the have... us open is the one where you know we've had a few non big three winners of late you know we had silits we yeah. had del potro so yeah this is not it's the one thing with the most uh, uh, non big three winners yes that's right since 2003 if you take a look right yeah because uh, yeah you got uh, rodic of course in 2003 itself and then you got uh, del potro and uh, who won actually very interestingly del potro actually won the us open before nadal or djokovic <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then of course you got chilich and then wawrinka um, himself so four players you know True. i hope del potro's run. injury will be fine by then he's still injured i i, I think Mm. and again a case of and, and again a case of if not then what isn't it for del potro and uh, his career if not those injuries then what but uh, uh, one final question that i have received on uh, my chat is uh, that we may, we've uh, spoken about how the generation of players have not shown up but potentially mm-hmm. potentially the players like you know rajke you, you, you are a fan of felix and rightly so mm-hmm. he's been showing the sparks recently mm-hmm. he's been showing the the form uh, yeah. can can both of you pick five players that might go on to challenge might and that is a big big might <laughs> if you know what i mean uh, might go on to challenge in uh, the yeah uh, the top US 3 Open or in yeah. the top 3 in general in the future let's say okay so well sitsipas swerev felix Hmm. Uh, Hatsuno and Medvedev. Medvedev. Right five picks. Prakash, what about you? Uh, you want five picks, is it? Yeah. Five? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the usual suspects we have, you know, and they have to be right now the best bet, you know. And uh, maybe like someone like uh, Berrettini, who surprised him. I've been pretty surprised with him. Okay. But he made this run. You know? yeah. yeah. So, I'll, yeah. And then uh, I'm just looking for unconventional names right now because <laughs> we have already had a look at Zverev and you know, they, in a way, you can say they kind of made dents. Yeah. And like uh, they'll have to again come back, I guess, with the new plans. I mean, Zverev is just 22, right? 21, 22. 22, yeah, 22. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I think Zverev got the biggest upside as much as far as I know because even in the, the game, right, I he's got the biggest game of all these guys. It just... someone needs to help him just put that together you know 
and just make him play a little more aggressive because he's like del potro when he initially came on his first movement i think like many clay courters is to step back from the baseline rather than go in no because that's what most uh, aggressive and you no know, hard court or grass court player fast hard court and grass court players do that you want to go into the court after your shot you want to follow that up it took him a while you know and that kind of a thing someone needs to get him to change that i think attitude hmm. with that game with the serve and the ground strokes oh man he's got so much upside Yeah, and he's so also been a bit are, unlucky with some personal problems this year. Personal you know? issue. So it's a bit unfair yeah. to that. There's so many factors, you know, we take for granted yeah. because we see these guys doing it so easily. But so many things have to come right to make a great champion, you know. Correct. And to make that champion repeat, keep repeating as much as these guys have done. Yeah, it is like a, so many factors out. So I guess, yeah, maybe that's why we want to see like a scarcity of stuff you know, for a while now. Looks like. things i don't know yeah we are to wait and see but thing is when things do happen i think i believe they'll happen very fast yeah because i think you know the whoever takes over like you know it's going to be like uh, you know they're going to do it pretty quick is what i feel right it won't be a prolonged fight or i would think yeah and uh, and you know uh, you know this has this has to be a point of discussion in the future episodes guys because we have a lot of uh, things to offer on this episode and by the way great last episode and great episode this time um, any final words before we wrap up on this episode of the tennis galaxy podcast rajke so yeah i mean this is very busy few months in the tennis season you know starting with french open and then wimbledon and then us open you have three slams back to back and so this is the time to really watch tennis and make sure that you know you don't miss too many matches because after that there's a little bit of a lull before the australian open starts again in january so this is my favorite time of the year and so far it's lived up to expectations particularly this wimbledon i think it will long be remembered for two classic federer nadal and federer djokovic matches and i hope that us open which is to come in a few weeks is going to be as exciting as this as well prakash Yeah, so I think it was uh, all in all a very exciting Wimbledon, and uh, definitely you know the busiest part of the season with all these uh, big tournaments. You got three slams and uh, four masters or five masters in this chunk. So and of course the grass court warmups. So right now I think we'll be in the final lap, the hard courts. Yeah. And uh, the and for me personally, I always rated for me. among the tennis tournaments for me wimbledon is always special it feels like yeah it's every you know, annual world cup for me in tennis <laughs> you know because it just does. stands out with its history you know and over the years uh, how important it has been and so to have this kind of a match you know and there it's like pretty much uh, like how the cricket world cup final you know, got to the real wire <laughs> and probably uh, i think oh and by the way yeah. <laughs> i have to say uh, Prasad, yeah. both me and Prakash got our predictions right for Wimbledon. <laughs> Correct. We did good actually. Right. We with predictions, we were pretty good actually. We got uh, yes, yeah, much you... better than French Open. So yeah, yeah Nadal play our best yeah. at Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, and and, and Prakash, yeah, yeah. We our form on grass court is also much better. Like you know, like 
Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I'm friendly. saying. We play our best at Wimbledon. <laughs> you know, Rajke, Rajke, here's a food for thought, Rajke. Um, uh-huh. Based on what we witnessed in the, the World Cup final, should uh, uh, the player after 12-12 in the fifth set been given the trophy based on the number of aces? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy that the ICC is nowhere near the, any other sport. Because, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm a bit surprised. Yeah. Well, that's a completely different sport. But, you know, yeah. isn't yeah. it a rather flimsy way to decide? First of all, the super over itself yeah. is a bit strange. You know, after 50 overs of being tied, you it's yeah. almost a different sport, right? People come for one over and then bat. And then yeah. once the super over is tied, so there were two ties. So it's, just, it's, it's been completely crazy, right? Two ties yeah. out there in the World Cup final and one tie break here happening at the same time, same so, day, yeah. same and just- city. Same city, just a few miles away, in fact. <laughs> a few miles away and I could not watch the World Cup final at all because I was busy watching the tennis. So I was just following that. And, you know, just extremely strange day and two very strange matches. Very, very, very. <laughs> and what a day for sport, as I have repeatedly been saying on this episode of the <laughs> Tennis Galaxy podcast. But to sum things up on this episode, Novak Djokovic is the 2019 Men's Wimbledon Singles Final. Uh, winner and then champion, sorry. And then Roger Federer comes up short, uh, gives us an epic thriller, but so a case of so close yet so far for the 37-year-old who's been two nothing but classic. Yeah. Like yeah. Right? yeah, 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 two, absolutely. Yeah. And and by the way, we witnessed our longest Wimbledon men's final in history, four hours and 53 minutes, for surpassing four hours and 48 minutes in 2008. So I hope you, everyone listening to this has enjoyed the two weeks that we've uh, uh, discussed over and over. We've done every round and we have been sensational. Question mark. That's up to you to decide. But we and Rajke no, no, on this no, no, episode. One last thing before we sign off. Oh, sorry. Please. Yeah. Uh, one last thing. I actually wanted to get this in before. Basically, there's an interesting uh, topic I think we can throw up for debate right now. Is that mm-hmm. you know conventional? It's already always been thought that Nadal is the most mentally tough player, you know, that to have played, you know, definitely in this generation, right? Because yeah. point in, point out, he brings in intensity. Yeah. But I think right now we can make a case for Djokovic, yeah. who actually takes a very different route. He doesn't do the point in, point out as we talked, right? Yeah. Because uh, to this today's match was all about how he basically had ups and downs, but when it was a big point, he yeah. was there. I mean, like clutch moment. Clutch moment. Correct. Correct. Clutch moment, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's like a totally different route. Like you wouldn't think that's a route you can take to mental toughness because you know you think, or oh, the conventional wisdom is that, you know, intuition is that the most mentally tough player goes at it like every single point, right? But uh, you know, there are two different uh, schools of uh, or you know, styles, I guess. But that's a, an argument, I guess that. More people or that'll come up in sports bars along with this goat debate, which has been going around, of course. Absolutely. I'm surprised, I'm surprised that you left uh, Roger Federer out of this, by the way, because I think for me, he's incredibly mentally tough, you know, in his own sense. I mean, I would say, like, as I always uh, for Federer, I say that again, there are different kinds of mental toughness the short term mental toughness, which is goes on a point and a match, and then this long term thing where you need to like. I think in that sense, Federer, right? I think among the three has had the biggest of heartbreaks. Mm. And he has been getting up every single time, you know. And mm. this just gets added to that list of those heartbreaks. So, yeah, definitely, you know. Yeah, but, is, uh, but, but you, you know, should also remember the triumphs, right? I mean, hanging on against Roddick. Right. 
right? I mean, uh, how many games did he? Uh, that was just crazy, you know, just maintaining a focus yeah, in two thousand nine, two thousand seventeen against Nadal. Definitely, uh, you know. But, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, is it? It's ultimately stereotyping in one sense, you know, because you look at Federer as the guy who does things easy, and then. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't. So this is why I don't mm-hmm. like any of the because I, I, I think things are a bit more complicated than, as you said, these simple stereotypes of Federer. You know, just this vehemently very flaky guy who just goes and hits a few shots. No, I mean, like right. there have been. If you look at five set records, for example, you might you might think of Federer as you know he's come back from two sets to zero down more often than Nadal, right? Uh, I mean, to right. win matches. Right, there was there was a period of time, like last year or the year before, where he won many matches, saving match points, match points, and he also lost some matches where he had match points. So you know, I mean, that's but that's something to talk about. I'm just throwing Federer's name out there too, you know, because yeah, I always want to do. Yeah, he'll always be there. I'm pretty sure, you know, because given the number of Federer fans out there, he'll always be in every <laughs> discussion. But generally, you know, these are the. Things around people who mentioned mostly. No, I, I think let's do the following at some stage for some future podcast yeah. that we come up with a few criteria, yeah, and then try right. to rank people and let's fix the criteria first before looking at the players and then Absolutely, then yeah. we can we, and some statistical True. things like you know maybe break points saved or, or match points saved or something and then we can go back and see who does the best but yeah i mean i'll leave that to prasad as to when he wants to talk about this absolutely guys but but i but to look back to look back on to where we started a month ago and where we are today and uh, it's really been amazing sharing the space with you guys and uh, it's so much to learn so much to understand i mean the technicalities uh, are brilliant there and people are loving it people are loving it absolutely to whoever is no, listening i just hope that uh, this becomes more popular among tennis fans because we also like getting questions from them and that makes us think in a new perspective as well so it's really yeah <laughs> and next year is 2020 so so uh, prakash uh, you you will be in your 30th year as a tennis fan and rajkeel <laughs> will be at 1989 being 31 <laughs> and uh, me being in uh, my 20th year so that's uh, what 80 years of combined <laughs> watching and to to share the space i as i said is really amazing but uh, like i said and like some valid points made prakash by the way uh, and uh, that actually builds up my interest for the next uh, few episodes which we will record once we are thorough with the topics whatever we decide but uh, it's been great sharing the space and like i said what a brilliant day in the history of sports in general and what a day at center court i mean and the best man won there the man who held his nerve in clutch moments as i say won the title so until next time ladies and gentlemen uh, i hope you've enjoyed this episode until the next time here's your host prasad signing out with prakash and rajke on this episode of the tennis galaxy podcast <laughs>